Well, you know, if you've been here for, with us for a while, you know that we're in the process of going through the Bible um, a book at a time. Sometimes when the books are longer, like um, Psalms or something like that, we'll spend two or three weeks on it. Um, but we've been spending um, at least a week on, on every book of the Bible, and we're working our way through, which today brings us to 1 Corinthians. Um, I don't know how many of you know it, but um, I teach ninth and 10th grade Sunday school. And um, my task is, in that two-year period, to, to do an overview um, of the New Testament. Going that fast with the, the number of Sundays that, that we miss because we, we have certain times when we don't have Sunday school. <clears throat> that was a good voice, wasn't it? Um, or we don't have Sunday school like at Easter and Christmas. Um, so it's, it's not 52 weeks of the year. And um, with the, the Sundays that we have, um, it, it has to be an overview. You, you really can't do an in-depth study of the entire New Testament in two years. It's just not possible. But we try to go through that. And what I do is um, each year I, I alternate. So one year I'll start at the beginning of the Gospels and go up through um, Acts. And then the following year, I'll start at Romans and go to Revelation, and I alternate back and forth. So depending on when you arrive in ninth grade, you might start right where you should in the beginning. You might start at Romans. Um, so that's what I do. And I, I know that like in the past, these last few weeks, Gary has told you, you know, if you, if you have a Bible with the maps in the back, um, go, and, go and look at this area. The, the stuff that we're talking about at this point is real. It's history. It's, it's got a physical thing. So I just thought I'd um, get Preston to pull up a map and, and kind of give you an idea what we're looking at. You can see where Corinth is, okay? All the way down here in the right corner is Jerusalem, okay? If you want a context for this, going by land from Jerusalem to um, Ephesus is about the same as saying, let's walk from here to Chicago, Okay, you can forget the nice hiking boots that are going to take care of your feet and everything. You're going to do that in sandals. You up for that? It's like that's where they went. Um, you can see that to get to Corinth was a, a you know, across the isthmus there was a, a voyage. There's a reason why Paul was shipwrecked a number of times. Um, remember, Romans is named that because they hauled him all the way to Rome in Italy. Um, but I just want to give you an idea where these churches are. The, the names you see up there um, is directly where we get the names of these letters. So when we talk about, you know, Corinthians, it is a letter to the church in Corinth. Ephesians is a letter to the church in Ephesus. Philippians is the church in Philippi. Thessalonians is the church in Thessalonica. And Galatians is the church in Galatia. This, this whole area is an area that... You know, um, we used to refer to it as Asia Minor. Um, think about the magnitude of Asia. We know that, um, that the Stenell kids um, are over in the other side of Asia. Asia goes from here, in this area here where Ephesus is. Asia goes from there all the way east to the coast of China, all the way to Malaysia and um, Indonesia. That's all considered Asia, okay? But the, when, when uh, Paul is traveling through this area, 
Um, this is where he's traveling in what's called Asia Minor. Okay? Um, so just trying to give you a, a context for where this is. One of the things I try to stress with the Sunday school kids is the authenticity that we can, we can absolutely be secure knowing what we're talking about. Okay? Um, if, if these kids end up going to college and taking a philosophy course, they will have philosophy professors that will um, they'll, they'll bring up Homer and they'll bring up these, these ancient philosophers. And they will quote these things like it's letter for letter exactly what these philosophers said. Okay? The first written um, records that we have of... Aristotle and Homer and people like this. The first written records go back, way back, but they're a thousand years after that person lived. How, how much change do you think can happen in that thousand years? As a scribe goes to like copy those things over, sometimes the, the error, because remember, they're not writing in like our letters. It's like it's hard to hard to mistake an, an I for an O when you write in English. But the, the language that they're writing in, a little tiny slash in the wrong spot could be a whole different word. Okay? Not just a scribe's error, but maybe a scribe thought, you know, it would sound a lot better if it looked this way. I think I'll just make a little change. We don't know what changes were made to Aristotle and Homer and people like that. Okay? When you talk about the letters to these churches, the letters that Paul wrote... The, the first time that we have examples of those letters is within a handful of years of Paul's life. It's not a thousand years later. It didn't go through who knows how many copies and revisions. Those things, we actually have you know, written record of, of these letters that we're going through from here forward. You know, 1 Corinthians is the first of these letters in the, in the New Testament. As we go through these letters in the weeks and the months to come, we actually have records that were just within a handful of years of, of Paul actually creating these letters. Have confidence in, in what you're reading that it wasn't somebody's ad lib that they stuck in later. Um, so just to give you a, a feeling for that, you know, you, you can hang your hat on this. This is... This is authentic. This is verifiable. This is real. This is a real place it happened in. We, you can go walk those streets. We know a lot about these places. We know, we know what Corinth was like, that it was a very busy seaport. It's only, I think it's only about 30 or 40 miles west of Athens um, on, a, on a very narrow isthmus there. Um, so that, that's where this all comes from. Each year um, as a church board... Um, we meet and, and we, we get together and we, we try to, to seek God's direction for this church body. We call the church um, the board vision meeting. And we talk about stuff. Um, we had this about six weeks ago. And um, I brought up something that, that's just been on my heart for like the last like six years, I think. Um, talking about like the changes to our society. And we're all aware of this, okay? We all, we all know that, that there's a lot more hostility to, to the gospel, um, what Christians are dealing with, and, 
and being shoved aside. And there's people that are calling the Bible hate speech now. You know, we know this is all changing around us. Um, we also know that that um, there are people that that don't have any understanding of the Bible whatsoever. Okay, um, I related that a, a thing that Leanne and I had the opportunity. I think it was like five or six years ago to to meet with this young lady that um, one of one of my Sunday school kids uh, was interested in this young lady and she had no exposure to the gospel, no knowledge whatsoever, and you know started off trying to talk about this thing. She didn't even know what we meant when we said Old Testament or New Testament. She had no context, didn't know a thing. So it's easy for us to kind of. To get, to get down and think like, you know, boy, things have really soured. Things are really tough for us. Um, to, to give you some understanding of like where we've gone in the last, say, 100 years. 100 years ago, as people pushed out from the East Coast to settle the plains, um, you know, every, every ounce that they carried in their, in their covered wagons was, you know, like you calculated that space. You had to haul it a long way. So you didn't have a box of books that you brought along with you. Typically, those families had one book, and it was the Bible. So when they got there, whether, whether they were a single outpost of a single family or whether there was a handful of families and they had like a little schoolhouse, you see all around here, you see the little schoolhouses that are, you know, 100 or more years old. How did the kids learn to read? They had one book. They learned to read by by reading scripture. Okay? So whether they were a believer or not, whether there was any faith in them, they at least had an idea of what you were talking about if you talked about something from the Bible. Because they, they had been exposed to it, learning just simply to read the English language. Okay? Um... Where have we gone from there? Um, like I said, you know, we met this young lady. She didn't even know what New Testament and Old Testament meant. And we're very comfortable, I think, talking in our um, church language as we talk about the gospel. We use church words. And we're very comfortable with that. And what I had brought up in the vision meeting was we are going to have to learn how to talk to the completely unchurched in terms that they can grasp, okay? Um, I think each generation, and I don't know, how much time does a generation encompass? Like 15 or 20 years or something. But it may not even be each generation. Just each snapshot, each point in time, I think people feel like it's like the hardest time or the toughest time. And, you know, we, we kind of tend to do that. I think it makes it feel makes us feel good about ourselves, like, oh, man, it's tough now. We're just, you know, you know the old joke about, like, you know, grandpa says, you know, I walked five miles to school both ways uphill, you know, or something like that. Um, we, we tend to think that that's true. But if you study history, it's just simply not. Um, society has been massively more secular in the past. Um, Christians have been more persecuted in the past. You know, now because of communication... We are exposed to things like when ISIS does terrible things. Um, do we honestly think that this is the first time 
that, that Christians have ever been persecuted? Um, do we understand that of, of the apostles, only one was not put to death? Only one. The rest of them were put to death. It's 2,000 years ago. Um, one of the things I, I probably endlessly annoy my Sunday school kids with is, is telling them that there's nothing new under the sun. And if you play those Bible trivia games of like, is it in the Bible? It, that one is. Okay, that's from Ecclesiastes 1.9, that there is nothing new under the sun. Yes, our personal experiences, my experiences are new to me. All of our, you know, I tell the kids, like, whatever they're going to go through, your individual experience is new to you. But that kind of an experience is not a new thing that has never been seen before. Um, In the course of human history, like, nothing is new. Um, I used to joke that, that Solomon's mother, that um, Bathsheba probably said to, you know, to Solomon, like, you call that music? Make my day, we had good music. I won't pick on today's kids because that's just too easy. But, like, I can seriously remember, you know, my dad, you know, saying the same thing about the Beatles, you know. And I'm not, I'm not talking about the later stuff like Abbey Road or the Sgt. Pepper stuff. Think about that early stuff. It was heavy. It was deep. She loves you, yeah, yeah, yeah. She loves you, yeah, yeah, yeah. She loves you, yeah, 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 yeah. Looking back at it, I can see why my dad was like, you call that music? You know, it's just, you know, but we thought it was really awesome. You know, the good news, and I could never like tell him that, the good news was at least he didn't have to live through punk. If you had a child who came of age during the punk era, it makes your head hurt. You know, there's a, there's a whole style called emo that sometimes they call it screamo. It's bad. And if you don't know, our son is a professional musician. And yes, he came, he came up in the punk era. So I should have looked at my dad and said, yeah, yeah, Beatles were tough, but you didn't have like punk. Um, so like Ecclesiastes says, there, there is nothing new under the sun. Um, one of the things we talk about today a lot is how to reach the unchurched. Um, if we want a roadmap on how to reach the unchurched, just think of Paul. The gospel message was just beginning at, in this time frame that we're talking about. The gospel message was just finding its way out of Jerusalem. It's just finding its way out. We have all of this to learn from. We have all of this to guide us. That, that was not around. We, they didn't have printing presses. You can, forget, you can forget this thing in Googling things, kids. They didn't have that action, okay? But they didn't even have, you know, they, they didn't even have copies of things to, to carry around and share. It was all word of mouth. And, and the people that Paul was addressing, you don't think they were unchurched? Where do you, where do you think their backgrounds were? They were the epitome of that. Um, basically, everyone that Paul came in contact with had either no knowledge or very little knowledge um, of, of Jesus, of, you know, what was coming. Um, what they knew of God's 
either involved rules and laws that they followed or it involved superstition and idols. And this is one of the things that that Paul deals with in his letter to the Corinthians is um, they were having issues in the church with, you know, and this isn't obviously, this isn't the first time, think it through the Old Testament, how often did something happen and the Israelites were like, I'm getting out that bull, we're going to be getting a little idol out again, you know. Idols are kind of like a fallback position for these people, and Paul is dealing with that. Um, communicating an understanding of words that had no context before this. Um, understanding salvation, righteousness, sanctification, forgiveness, um, and redemption. That's all new territory. Um, in the world of Rome and Greece and that area of Asia Minor, these words had no meaning, no understanding, no context for these people. So Paul is having, in very plain language, to impart this stuff to everyone. Um, as we consider how to communicate those things to the world around us, First Corinthians is a great place to start. Um, Paul was living at Ephesus. He had been there for three years when word, verbal word had reached him about some of the things going on in the church in Corinth. And they weren't encouraging. There were a lot of things that were going on. As I said, idol worship. There was immorality and there was, you know, a lot of disunity going on. But even so, Paul chose to start his letter giving thanks. In chapter 1, verse 4, he says, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him, in all speech and in all knowledge, so that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. At the beginning of Paul's letter, he he starts off addressing division. You had these, these different pockets in the church, and they're all claiming, and this, this all has to do with arrogance. You know, they're claiming like, I follow Paul. You know, the other guy says, I follow Apollos. Or the other one is, like, I follow Cephas, which is, if you don't know, that is um, one of Peter's um, names, is Cephas. Um, so Paul addresses this, and he says, what I mean to, to is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Paul is trying to remind them that there is only one head of the church, and that, there is only, and that it is only in Jesus Christ that their faith is founded. He goes on to talk about this intellectual superiority, which is, again, this thing of arrogance. In verse 22, he says, For the Jews demanded the signs, and the Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and a folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of a God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. It's a beautiful sentence, isn't it? The foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. 
Paul wants the Corinthians and us also to get the point that we should not rely on our own wisdom or our own strength. Paul reminds them that he did not simply try to convince them through debate or intellectual arguments. And this this part of Greece, they loved intellectual arguments. Their idea of, of fun was just knocking heads and, and getting in a big debate and having this great intellectual argument. So Paul says, I didn't do it through debate. I didn't bring you intellectual arguments, but I came only proclaiming Christ crucified. In chapter 2, verse 1, he starts off and he said, And when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit of power, that your faith may not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. He's making very clearly where our knowledge and where our our strength come from. He goes on to discuss how as believers we are spirit-led. As it says in verse 10, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. And reminding us in verse 12, now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. These days, the word spiritual person is thrown around an awful lot, having nothing to do with Scripture, having nothing to do with God. It's like... If, if someone thinks it's great to go sit on a rock somewhere and stare into space, someone was likely to say, like, oh, they're a spiritual person. They're, you know, we throw that around very loosely. Um, it seems to be applied to just about anyone. But even 2,000 years ago, Paul is clarifying that the only ones that should be called a spiritual person are those who have received the Holy Spirit. In verse 14, Paul tells us the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. If you don't have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you, how do you hope to discern anything spiritual? How do you hope to know anything about God if you don't have his Spirit? The idea that simple intellectual understanding is just knowledge and that is sufficient is something that we see all the time in universities. You have professors that teach world religion and they teach it from an intellectual standpoint. They aren't believers. They, they therefore are without the Holy Spirit. They can't grasp what Paul is referring to as the mystery of the cross. They frequently make fun of Christianity they intellectually, you, you can intellectually read the Bible and without the Spirit's indwelling, get nothing. Get absolutely nothing from it. You, you can't deal with it purely on an intellectual level. Um, 
we fall into that same trap, thinking that in our, in our own capacity, we can, we can gain an understanding, that just by studying the Bible, we can absorb intellectual knowledge. And I'm not knocking intellectual knowledge. It's, it's great, but it's intellectual knowledge with the guidance of the Holy Spirit, with the revelation of the Holy Spirit in us. Um, Paul is very clear that without the Spirit to guide us and impart understanding, we are basically helpless. How can we have any hope of understanding God? Verse 11 tells us, quote, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What Jesus referred to as the spirit of truth is the same that Paul referred to in verse 12 as the spirit who is from God. And the authority that the spirit speaks with is from God. We need that spirit residing in us, guiding us as we seek to live a transformed life. And as we look around, we need to be reminded that each of us is in a different point in that transformation. We're each at a different point in our walk with God. We're at a different point as we, in our relationship with Jesus Christ. And we need to be gracious to one another. You can't demand that someone be where you are. You can't do that. We need to be gracious with one another to realize that everyone has to get to that point through the journey that God is walking them through. Um... Back in Virginia, we had a pastor that occasionally wore this button that said WIP on it. And it was just to start a conversation so people would ask what that stands for. And that would give him the opportunity to say, work in progress. Here's a guy that went to seminary, had been in, in ministry, active for, at that point, I think 25 years, 20 plus years for sure. And he's still work in progress. We are all work in progress. Um, it doesn't matter what age you are. It doesn't matter when you came to faith. Coming to faith is not the end of the journey. It's the beginning of the journey. I always, I always, always use that marriage as an example of that, that when, when you say, I do, you don't go out that day from your wedding and go, like, took care of that. We're all good, unless you're an idiot. You know, and then your wife will tell you you're an idiot, so... Wives are good for that. That's the beginning of the journey. And, and yes, I know, like, every young person, you, I probably have said this to you before, every young person will look at you and roll your eyes when you've been married 20, 30, 40 years. Um, my parents were married 67 years when my dad passed away. And it's like, you, you look at this and you say, oh, you think you are so in love the day you got, and yes, you are, you are so in love. That's just the beginning. What you are 20, 30, 40 years later, 50, 60 years later, that love is so deep and so strong. And, the, you know, a young person that just thinks, oh, but I'm, oh, you don't get it. I'm in love, you know. They'll roll your, their eyes at you, and it's like you just kind of have to nod and kind of smile like you'll understand one day. One day you'll get there. The same is truth, <clears throat> excuse me, the same is true with our relationship with Jesus Christ. The day that, that we ask him into our hearts is not the end of the journey. That's, it's not an inoculation like you go get your flu shot or something and you're good. 
It's not that. It's the beginning of a relationship. You will spend the rest of your life deepening that relationship. And it will be so rich if you, if you continue to invest time and understanding and you, you get into his word and you read it, it gets deeper and it gets better with time. It's just the beginning. It's not the end. So as we look around our, ourselves, we can shake our heads and we can moan like, oh, it's not like it used to be. We're good at that, right? But let's, let's take a lesson from Paul. First off, give thanks. Um, the fact that you're here, the fact that you have heard the gospel message puts you in a special category right there. There are people all around the world that have never heard the gospel. The fact that you have heard it, if you've accepted Christ and he is like Lord of your life, give thanks. I'm not saying that what, you know, I don't, I don't even know what each of you are going through. I'm not saying that, that what you're going through is not difficult. There's nothing, there's absolutely nothing in here that says the day that you ask Christ into your life, it's all golden from there. There is none of that. Because there's that other one on the other side that is seeking to destroy, seeking to lie to you, seeking to steal your joy. This is a fallen world. That's why people get sick. That's why things go wrong. So you're not just going to be instantly golden. Okay? But we have so much to give thanks for. Um, personally, I give, I give thanks to God every single day that I heard his call, that I responded to it. Um, if you knew me when I was younger, you would be amazed. I was not known for making good decisions. Um, I'm pretty sure that at least 80% of my parents' prayer life concerned me, um, with good reason. And this is way before the wheelchair and the trip off the roof, um, with lots of good reason. My father used to, to say to me endlessly, like, just once could you learn something not the hard way? No, just never. Mm-mm. i got to do it myself to find out. Um, that I actually responded to, to his call on my life is just, that is a, an amazing example of his grace. Just amazing to me, like, that, that he wanted me. Um, I had a, a conversation with a, a guy this last week at Man Cave who has got a pretty rough past. And he's really struggling with this idea of, like, how can I be forgiven? There is nothing that, that can stop that. It doesn't mean that the things that are in his past are now okay. We're not condoning the things in the past. Remember what it means to be born again. Why do we, why do we even use that phrase? To be born again means to put the old man to death, to put sin to death, to leave it behind. The reason that we're born again in the spirit is because we are a new creation, it doesn't mean the things that you did in the past are, are okay. It doesn't make them, you know, oh, we're fine that you did that. You know, it doesn't make them, they're just not part of you anymore. You are a new creation. And you are a new creation only in one thing, and that's in Christ Jesus. 
I missed a whole page. Um, I knew there was something wrong with that context I was looking at. Um, Paul addresses all of this in chapter 3 in verse 2 when he reminds the, the Corinthians. He says to them, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. If, if you run into somebody who has no knowledge of the gospel in any way, shape, or form, you really think you're going to launch into a discussion of um, sanctification, a deep discussion on sanctification? Will that mean anything to them? You've got to start them off, as Paul says, with milk, just like we do a little baby, not with solid food. In chapter 3, Paul goes back to that, that whole thing about the divisions that they were dealing with and by choosing who they claim to follow. And, and Paul decides to drive home this point that it is only God who gives us growth. It's not Paul. It's not Peter. It's not Apollos. It's only through God that we have growth. In, chapter five, in verse 5 of chapter 3, he said, What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. There are times today that we get confused on those points. We think we have the power to, to bring someone to faith. We don't. We're, we're seeders. We seed. We water. Is it frustrating if we allow it to be? Because you won't know what those seeds are. You won't know where they come from. You won't know how they grow necessarily. You may say a few words to a person and, and not have any idea how God is going to work that in their lives. It may be decades. Um. Don't let that be a frustration. Understand that we have our assignment. Jesus has given us our assignment. We are to take the scripture out into the world to plant those seeds. And he's absolutely clear that only God can give the growth. In verse um, 10, he says, According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. No one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. And that's our memory verse for this week. Um, in Corinthians, there's lots of things. Gary talked about this, I think it was last week, about picking, picking a memory verse. It's, it's really easy to, you know, there's a lot of verses in, in Corinthians that are like super well known and it would be really easy to pick them as, as a memory verse like in, you know, in chapter 2 what I um, no eye has seen nor ear has heard nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him be easy to pick that for a memory verse because a lot of us know that one um, chapter 13 if, I'm assuming everybody pretty much in here has gone to a wedding at some point Chapter 13 of, of 1 Corinthians, you will hear at 90% of weddings, love is patient, love is kind. That was not written as a wedding instruction. It does work really well as that. It was not writ, written as a wedding instruction. It was written to a completely dysfunctional church that was dealing with sexual immorality, was dealing with idols, was dealing with division and, and disunity. That's what that was written to. 
It's, it's Paul going back to, uh, if you think back to the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus said, a new commandment I give you that you love one another. You know, it's, it's going back to that. And Paul is going like, obviously you don't know what love looks like. Let's get specific here. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love keeps no record of wrongs. And he's explaining to them. He's giving them the, the milk and the and the, the milk toast and the, the basic things so that they know what to, what to deal with. So the only foundation that we can have is, is based on Christ Jesus. If you, if you take nothing else from this morning, I hope you, you clearly get that point that the only foundation that matters, the only foundation that can be built on, the only foundation that will last is the foundation in, in Jesus Christ. Um, I, I don't know... I didn't go to Sunday school up in this part of the country. I don't know if you know this song, but I can't say that without thinking about the song about the the wise man built his house upon the rock. The rock is Jesus Christ. Build your foundation. All of us understand that if the foundation is not solid, it doesn't matter what goes on top of it. It will crumble. Remember the end of that song? And the house on the sand went splat. Mm Mm-hmm. Build your house on the rock, the rock of Jesus Christ. Um, so as we look around, oh, I did that. <laughs> Sorry, I told you I missed that part. Um, Paul starts off by giving thanks. Um, Paul also um, reminds, the Corinth- reminds us that, that he did not proclaiming the testimony of God with lofty speech or with wisdom. He came speaking plainly openly and plainly so that people could grasp. He didn't try to dazzle them with eloquence or with lofty speech or with intellectualism. He came simply speaking. Um, Coming to faith is not an intellectual exercise. You cannot, absolutely you cannot debate someone into faith. You cannot. You cannot bring them to faith. Only the Holy Spirit can work through somebody to bring them to that point. They need to get there. You, you might be able to convince somebody to say a prayer. If they say it without meaning it, it's meaningless. They need, it needs to be part of them. It needs to be from inside. Um, look at the people that you interact with. If you're a student, all day long you're around other students. Don't ignore teachers. You're around teachers. If you're in the workforce... Everybody you come across. If you go to Hugo's and you shop, everybody you interact with, look at those people around you. Be a seed planter or be a seed waterer. As you understand what the role that our Savior calls us to, that's what we're called to. We are called to be planters. We are called to be encouragers and waterers. But remember, it is only God that brings the growth. And we give glory to him for the growth that he brings because it's only through him that that's even possible. And remember, the only foundation that lasts, the only foundation worth building is the one founded on Jesus Christ. There is no other foundation that will last. And it will last the test of time. And it will last throughout your life. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. It's only by your word that we can learn, Lord. Um, pour your word into our hearts. Um, Just draw us to you. 
If we've strayed some, if we've got uncertainty, call us back. Help us understand that it doesn't matter what's gone before, that your arms are open, that you're beckoning to us. There is nothing that cannot be forgiven. And there's no one that you can't, can't fix. You, uh, you do broken so well. We just need to come before you broken and humble, asking that you fill our lives with your Holy Spirit, asking that you heal us, asking that you teach us and, and draw us closer to the Father, Lord. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.